It's the Your Life Lived Well podcast with Dr. Kevin Payne. A better way of seeing the life that you want to live. All pain is an experience. Technically, it's a medical symptom or subjective experience. It's not a medical sign because it can't be externally observed and measured. Even under an MRI, we can see that something is going on. Maybe some rough idea of intensity, but hundreds of brain's areas light up, and they're a little different based on your personal experience. So, because all of this is true, it kind of flies in the face of, of many things that the medical establishment is telling you about your pain. It's flying in the face of things that our unreflective experience is telling us about our pain. So we're going to dive into that in this episode. It's going to be one tiny little toad dipped into a really, really big pool of the topic of pain. And you'll notice this episode is titled Pain Isn't What You Think. And you'll see that there's a theme here with several of the recent episodes. We've got stress isn't what you think, and fear isn't what you think, and pain isn't what you think. Well, all of those work together in our system. And they're related to grief, which we've done an episode on, and trauma and anxiety, which we'll be doing episodes on coming up pretty quick. And all of this is this big, complex, layered, nuance set of processes your body and your brain and your mind are doing to try to protect you. That's what all of this is about. So one of the ways that we try to quantify pain is to use what's called a pain scale. And many of you have probably been exposed to one or more of these over the years. They'll ask you, well, how does your pain feel on a scale of 0 to 10? <laughs> now, of course, the problem is your 3 might be my 5 or my 7 or something else. And your 3 today may be different from your 3 a week from now or a year from now. So out of the many pain scales that are out there, there there's one that I, I like a little better than the rest of them. And it's called the Defense and Veterans Pain Rating Scale. And that just reflects where it started. It started in the VA. And the reason why I like it is because it's behaviorally anchored. So in other words, it's functionally anchored. It's anchored in an idea of how much is pain getting in the way of you living the life that you would otherwise be living. So zero is no pain. One is, yeah, I've got pain there, but I hardly notice it. Two is I notice the pain, but it doesn't interfere with my activities. Three is where the pain sometimes is distracting me from what I want to do. 
So not a lot, but occasionally it just kind of breaks through and, and it's hard for me to focus. Four is where it's definitely distracting me, but I can still do my usual activities. Five, now we're at the midpoint of the scale, and this goes from mild to moderate pain. Now this is interrupting some of your activities. At six, you're saying that pain is hard to ignore, and it often prompts you to avoid some of your usual activities. Now at seven, we're kind of crossing the boundary into severe pain. Seven, pain has now become the focus of your attention. And it prevents you, not just distracts you, it prevents you from doing some of these daily activities. At eight, your pain is awful and it is hard to do anything. So this is, you are almost non-functional at this point. At nine, you can't bear it and you are unable to do anything at this point. So functionally, again, pain is kind of taken over your entire experience at this point. And 10 is as bad as it could be and literally nothing else matters in your life at this point other than dealing with that pain. So I like that because it's not about subjective experience. It's about how is the pain impacting how you're trying to live. And that makes it easier for other people to kind of comprehend the functionality, you know, how pain is operating in your life. You can't directly share with someone how your pain feels. We just don't have a way of doing that right now. But if you can convey to someone, this is how much pain is getting in the way of what I'm trying to do, well, that can be useful. So I've had a, a long and colorful history with pain, personally. You know, as, as, as a young man, I've, I had the typical accidents and pains. You know, I, I broke a foot once at a bachelor party. <laughs> I almost sliced the end of my finger off one time. I got an abscessed tooth. And conveniently, that happened on a Friday night, so I had to live with it the entire weekend. And this is how most of us judge pain. Pain is a transient experience associated with some kind of physical trauma. And that's how we think of it. Pain is an acute experience. And we think of it that way until we live with persistent pain and we realize that these are different. You know, I'll give you another example. You know, when I was a teenager, I was in uh, the first car accident that should have killed me. 
and I was driving a little Toyota, and she was in a 79 T-Bird, and she T-boned me and didn't even bother hitting the brakes. Crushed the passenger side into the center column. If I would have had a passenger, they would have been dead. So after all of the rending and the noise, and uh, she pushed me way down the highway, and I managed to crawl out of the wreckage, and I'm severely concussed at this point. Probably everything that I have is bruised, and all of the glass shattered and went into my head. So head wounds bleed profusely. So I'm I'm now covered in blood. I'm just I'm just oozing blood. I'm spurting blood everywhere, and I'm. Pretty dazed because I'm pretty concussed, and I'm I'm staggering through the intersection, through all of these pieces of broken car, heading to the convenience store. And I, I, on instinct, I reach into my pocket and I pull out a quarter, and I'm headed to a payphone to call someone. <laughs> Just and this the woman runs who was the clerk at the store, runs screaming out of the store. Oh, my gosh, are you okay? Obviously, I wasn't okay. Now, here's the thing. I felt no pain at that point. I felt no pain. Because when we have catastrophic injuries, we tend to feel no pain. And we'll get into why that's the case here in, in a moment. But what I do remember vividly is as I'm stumbling toward the payphone by the convenience store, I tripped over the curb and I stubbed my toe. And that hurt. So I remember the pain from the stubbed toe. The rest of my body is completely mangled at this point. And I have no pain, so the ambulance gets there, they immobilize me, they put me on a spine board, they rush me to the hospital. I didn't start feeling pain until about half an hour later. And that's pretty typical. So this is our first clue to what's going on with pain. Pain isn't directly related to physical damage. kind of mind-boggling when you think about it, but it's not. And we'll go into some of these details in the next segment. Now, in 1989, I started itching all the time. And what I didn't know at the time was that this was probably the first blush of my MS showing itself. But this is a second clue to pain that I want you to think about while we uh, are in our break. And that is that pain signals are not necessarily painful. Itch is related. Gastrointestinal distress is related. All kinds of ways that our body demonstrates discomfort are related. So I'll let you think about those two insights, and we'll take a quick break. I'm Dr. Kevin Payne. Just jump with me into your life lived well. Half of us now live with chronic illness. 
Mine is multiple sclerosis. It's your life. Live it well. A chronic diagnosis doesn't mean goodbye to the good life you wanted. You don't have to feel overwhelmed or hopeless. I'll show you how to save yourself. Take your first step at justjump.life. And we're back, and for me, the real pain started in 2002. That's when I started getting some parts of my body disappearing, being numb. Not just the itching that had been around for, by that point, you know, over a decade, but pins and needles, like your, you'd hit your funny bone in all sorts of places, and then also pain, always. Now, this was kind of weird because there were no injuries that anyone could see, and this gives our third clue to what pain is actually doing. Pain is an experience, and the pain we experience is related to everything in our lives. It's related to all sorts of stressors going on in our lives or good, happy things going on in our lives. It's, it's intimately tied to our overall well-being and quality of life. So like 75% of those people with MS, pain is part of the symptoms that I regularly experience. One of the many, 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 many forms of chronic pain that are out there. Now, a decade ago, I was living day to day in that six to seven range every day, often gusting up to eights. And on a handful of occasions, the pain became so overwhelming that I blacked out which is an unnerving experience. We'll get back to where I am now in, in a little bit after we talk a little bit about more of what pain is going on here. But chronic pain is the world's most pressing health challenge. Full stop. More Americans have chronic pain than stroke, diabetes, heart disease, and cancer combined. Pain is the reason for 60% of all initial physician visits. Pain is the most common source of lost work, lost productivity, lost wages. And this isn't true just for the United States. It's increasingly true all around the world. So here's the frustrating thing about all this. We actually know how to best prevent and treat pain. But we're not doing it. Our mismanagement of pain in the last couple of decades has created this overwhelming opioid crisis that we're still trying to get a handle on in the United States. 
the reason why we're not doing what actually works for pain, what a mounting pile of research over the last decade or two keeps saying we should be doing for pain, is because those best practices don't make sense to most people, not even to medical professionals. You realize the average MD only has about four hours of pain science training coming out of medical school. That's about it. By the time you get through this one meager podcast, you will have one-fourth the education that they do. And the missing link is pain education, informed by the latest research consensus. So I'm going to say some things in the next couple of segments that you won't believe. But I swear everything I'm going to tell you is backed by the latest research. If you can wrap your mind around this and put it into action, your life, your pain will be better. So I'm going to start with one that's probably going to hack you off. You're not going to like this. And I'm going to say it, and I'm going to tell you before I even say this that you will misinterpret what I'm going to say. Pain is created and interpreted in your head. But it isn't a matter of choice. So when people say pain is all in your head, well, okay, it's, it's 90, 95% in your head. But it's not a matter of choice because it's being created subconsciously by bodily and brain systems that are outside your conscious control. And they are so deeply seated and they are so hell-bent on protecting you that they create these loud, screamy signals because they need you to do something now. My pain had reached its maximum sometime around a decade ago or so. By 2015, I'd been living with the pain for a long time, and I'd gotten really used to it, and I had gone through retraining myself. So by this time, what used to be maybe in that six to eight range was for me subjectively in that one to three range. Now, have my condition changed? No, it hadn't really changed. But I had educated myself I had used exercise and nutrition and meditation and lots of these other tools that we've talked about to reframe the way my brain was processing those pain signals, which are really danger signals. They're not pain signals. And so I was pretty used to it. So in 2015, I went in to my general practitioner for a checkup. 
and he has my shirt off, and he's looking at me, my my uh, stomach, kind of funny. And he kind of gets a quizzical look and gets in close, and he takes a, an index finger and kind of poke, poke, pokes at a spot a couple of places. And so then he did uh, more examination, and, and he said, how are you walking? And I gave him a curious look in return. And he said, you've got three really well-developed hernias. I had both inguinals and an epigastric. He said, most people are not even walking when, you know, with the pain this bad. And I said, well, I just, I, I, you know, I wasn't, wasn't thinking about it. I, I, you know, I live with pain all the time, so I just kind of dismiss it. So this brings us to our fourth clue about pain. We've got to become better observers of ourselves and interpret our pain properly. So at this point, think about it this way. Nociceptive pain. So we have, we have what's called nociceptors, these little nerve fibers that are all through our skin and joints and some of our internal organs, but not all of them. And these sense what are called noxious stimuli. Okay, so painful, dangerous stimuli. So more flames, more pain. More crushing, more pain. More cuts, more pain. More chemical burns, more pain, etc. That kind of pain, nociception, is largely signal. So in other words, this is a danger signal that your body is sending you in that moment because you're detecting some kind of noxious stimuli. And you need to do something about it right now so that you are not damaged or damaged even further. And this is generally how we think of pain. Pain as signal, as an important danger message. But when you're living with chronic pain, pain becomes noise because it's not giving you a valuable signal. Because whatever it is that's causing the pain isn't going to change. And it's not that it's presenting an immediate danger to you. So, I mean, in my case, I have a wacky central nervous system. Well, it's not going to kill me. It just makes things really difficult for me. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't get away from it and let it heal because it's my own immune system that's attacking my own neurological system. So the pain is not a signal for me. It doesn't spur any kind of useful health-promoting activity on my part. It's noise. And for most of us living with chronic illness, it's mostly noise. 
Because we already know something's screwed up. Thank you. Stop screaming about it. Right? So, this idea of nociception, okay, and nociceptors come from nocere to hurt or harm, this is sending us a signal to deal with a specific immediate danger. And it is the oldest form of pain. This is this, a form of pain that we share with lots and lots and lots of other critters. Okay, We've felt pain this way long before we were human. But even with this simple, direct, acute pain, there's more going on. So, after the break, we will talk a little bit more about this standard view of pain, this biomedical model or postural structural biomechanical model, and we'll talk about why it's not true, or at the very least, incomplete. We all have challenges. Mine is multiple sclerosis. We each have this one life, and we didn't choose to be saddled with chronic illness. But there's a better way. So I choose to just jump. And you can too. It's your life. Live it well. Justjump.life And so we've got this standard view of pain. The biomedical model of pain or the postural structural biomechanical model, just called the PSB model. And this model says that pain is directly associated with damage. And if you cure the damage, the pain will go away. But it's not true. And there are a couple of things that we can take out of this. One, from all of the studies out there, we know this really well. We start feeling pain before we are damaged. Otherwise, pain would be a really crappy signal, wouldn't it? Because the whole point is trying to get you to back off from some kind of activity that is going to damage you. So you can think of it this way. Pain is our oldest protective signal. A little newer than that is fear, which is doing the same thing, but the associations are a little more sophisticated, and it's got a longer warning. You know, like maybe a few decades ago, we'd, we'd know maybe 15 minutes before a tornado touched down. And now we know that a tornado, maybe an hour, two hours, is coming our way. So fear is an old, old system that we've talked about in a previous episode that is telling us about danger. Pain is an even older system that's doing the same thing. But we start feeling pain before we're damaged. So, so in other words, and you can try this experiment if you want. So grab a sensitive part of your body, like your earlobe, 
or like the skin between your your index and and th- finger and thumb, right? And and squeeze it. And you will start feeling pain. If you squeeze hard, just increasingly squeeze, 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 and then stop whenever you feel pain. Now, are those parts damaged? No, they're not damaged. Because you started getting pain before the damage occurred. You can take this a step further, but you need a friend to do this. And so now you squeeze their earlobe or that or a finger or that you know flap of skin there between their their thumb and their their index finger the same amount and they will report a higher level of pain than if they did it themselves because they're not in control of it now go find a stranger on the street and they're going to look at you funny. But don't worry, it's for science. <laughs> and if you have them squeeze one of those parts, you'll report a higher level of pain sooner than you reported when your friend did it. Because there's a bigger unknown. They're a stranger. You don't know them. So what I'm telling you here is that the amount of pain that you feel is associated with the amount of distress, the amount of threat that you perceive. And it's not just about, you know, if you, if you did the same experiment in a darkened room where you couldn't see anything, you would report a higher level of pain sooner than if it was a fully lighted room. So if we try those experiments ourselves, we realize that the amount of pain we feel is A, not going to be directly related to the damage, and B, it's going to be related to a lot of other factors that we can identify. How much information is coming in, whether we're controlling it or somebody else is, whether we know somebody is doing it or not, all those things. And and the point is that our mind and our brain are taking in all of the possible information. They're bringing to bear all of the information from our experience. Oh, have we been in this sort of circumstance before? Do I know my friend is a practical joker and is going to inflict a little more pain than I would otherwise like, etc.? Right? We're, we're bringing in all that information. Have I been through uh, an experience like this in the past that didn't turn out very well? Or that did turn out very well? We're, we're going to take all that information. And we will start feeling pain before we are damaged. We will also, as I mentioned with my story of my car accident all those years ago, when the injury becomes really severe, 
when it's really serious, there's little to no pain. And there are dozens and dozens of stories of this, you know, guy with a railroad spike through his head, you know, all of these things. And, and the point here is our body is intelligent enough to know that when there's a light to moderate amount of damage, the best strategy for us is to get distant really quick and then protect it for a while. But if we are so screwed up that that we are covered in blood and concussed and, and stumbling through the streets, then we have to have a little more of our wits about us so that we can act and move and think and process. And then when we start to feel more safe, the pain will start from the trauma, from the damage. So we can have physical damage and no pain, like most adults with back pain. Yeah, with rheumatoid arthritis, with with lots of other conditions. We can have pain and no physical damage. So a huge proportion of amputees still feel pain in the amputated limb. They're not getting any pain signals there because there's nothing to send them pain signals. But they still feel it. With my MS, I get pain sensations from lots of body parts and I know good and well that there's no damage going on there. So... In this segment, what I'm trying to do is to convince and educate you that the link is not between pain and damage. The link is not between pain and damage. The link is between pain and danger, perceived danger. That's what your system is trying to do. And then we get into all of the other layers that are happening because we know that that PSB model, that biomechanical model, is incomplete. It's saying that there's this direct relation between damage to your body and the pain signal you're getting. But... By the 1960s, we start getting something called gate control theory. In the 70s, we got this biopsychosocial model of pain. In the 90s, we got the pain neuromatrix. And all of these, what they're doing is they're discovering in pain science that pain depends on not just the biological factors, but on what's going on with your thoughts and your feelings, what's happened in your experience up to this point, what's going on with your social and cultural and physical environment. All of these things. If you don't know how you're going to make your mortgage, you will feel more pain from the same incident 
as someone who is fiscally stable. It's as simple as that. The pain that we feel is reflecting lots of other factors in our overall life circumstances, in our overall quality of life. So what this means is, during this time, pain scientists were figuring out what we social and behavioral scientists have known for decades and decades and decades, and that is pain is just like every other human thought and feeling or sensory experience or every other thing like that. All of those have mental and emotional layers of interpretation that are slathered on top of the direct physical experience. All pain is mediated by social, cultural, environmental, and contextual and historic and biographical factors. And once we know this, and once we know that pain does not equal damage, pain equals perceived danger, we can start training ourselves to respond differently. But it's, it's tripping to that understanding first that, that, you know, that's the step that we have to take, and that's really difficult to take. Because if we are convinced that pain equals damage, what are we going to do? We're going to withdraw from the world. We're going to try to protect ourselves. We're going to try to get distant, just like we did with fear, right? So I'll let you ponder that, and after this break, we'll discuss some takeaways. I'm Dr. Kevin Payne. Just jump with me into your life lived well. Half of us now live with chronic illness. Mine is multiple sclerosis. It's your life. Live it well. A chronic diagnosis doesn't mean goodbye to the good life you wanted. You don't have to feel overwhelmed or hopeless. I'll show you how to save yourself. Take your first step at justjump.life. And we're back with one last segment of Pain Takeaways. This is such a massive topic. I've got seven more pages of notes that we haven't even gotten to. But it's so important that it's, it's, it's a big part of chapters three or four of my book. It's uh, something I do seminars on, uh, not just for people who are living with pain, but for medical health and wellness professionals who aren't as up on recent pain science as you might think, because they've got a gazillion other things that they're trying to be expert on as well, and you only have so much time. So pain is just misunderstood, and I, and I hope that that's the first thing that you've taken out of this episode, that pain is sending us a really valuable message, and we're misunderstanding it. And even when pain is wrong or when pain gets 
you know, we haven't talked about pain wind-up yet or central sensitization or any of these other things that tend to happen with chronic pain over a long period of time. Um, or, you know, how after you've experienced pain, once you've recovered, your pain buffer has increased. So you're starting to feel the pain, that sense of danger, even earlier than you did before. And, and that's a pretty common response many of us get out of this. So all of those are, are not pain as signal, but pain as noise. Or pain like I live with every day. That's pain as noise. It's, it's, it's not useful. It's not, an informa- it's not an informative signal that's coming to me. It's like, yes, I know my system is screwed up. Thank you very much. So all of this is important because, you know, I said this at the very beginning of the episode, and I'm going to say it again right now. All pain is real. All pain sucks. No matter where it starts or what causes the pain, pain is pain. (laughs) If it's it's nociceptive or neurogenic or psychogenic or neuropathic or, you know, any of those things, it's still pain. Pain is pain. Your pain is what you say it is. And we also... Don't get to dismiss one another's pain. We don't get to hold ours up as somehow worse than everyone else's pain. Pain is never a contest. It's just not. There is no way to directly compare or rank your pain and mine. I don't know what you would do with my pain. I know my pain is a lot for me to deal with. And I don't care what you would deal with with my pain because, thankfully, it's not yours to have to deal with. You have to deal with your own pain. So pain is pain, and it's all just as real as any other pain. And it all has all of these different layers going on. And the good news out of all of this is... Because pain is not just a direct signal about damage. That means that with some time and some effort and some patience, we can retrain and and relearn what some of those layers are doing. And through that process improve our experience with pain. And I know this works because I've done it myself. And I know it works because there are multiple studies now who've done it. You know, one of these really fascinating studies, an Australian study from, it was about 2016 or so, 1,400 people in the study, so pretty large, and, and the average duration of pain in this study was seven years. So people have been living with it for a good long time, and their average reported pain on a scale similar to the one I talked about in the first segment was five out of ten. And they educated these people about what pain is really doing. 
a lot of the material similar to what I've talked about in this episode, uh, that research and, and some other stuff as well uh, that I talk about in my book and in seminars. And it didn't have an immediate effect. But three months out, so you've got the control group that is just doing standard pain meds and, you know, relevant physical therapy, right, for their pain. Three months out, their pain level is still at a five on average. The group who had been educated about what pain is really doing were down to a three on average. One year out, the control group still using only the standard methods, pain relievers, you know, still at a five. The people who had been educated and were practicing, down to an average of one. Was the pain gone? No. Still there. They just didn't care. Kind of like me. Pain's still there. I, I still feel it. I don't care. It's not getting in my way. And part of that is probably because we have this, you know, somewhere in the, you know, around the turn of the 21st century, we got on this kick about pain being the fifth vital sign, and we should have no pain. And, and we set, and, and, and we see that that change happened just before the opioid crisis started taking off. We, set, we reset people's expectations to something completely unattainable. And we reframed how people thought of the pain in their life and whether they thought they had to do something about it or not. And I'm not saying you should be in pain. What I'm saying is sometimes pain's an important signal for us and sometimes it's noise, but we can learn to put it in its place. Just like we learned, you know, go back to the episode we did few weeks ago on habits and changing habits. This is the same thing. It's the same process. You are changing the way that your body has learned to deal with pain. So, a few quick points. Pain is a danger signal trying to protect you. Pain is not a signal about how much damage your body has experienced. Two, Again, all pain is pain. Nociceptive, radicular pain, inflammatory pain, neuropathic or neurogenic pain, psychogenic pain, all of it. It uses the same systems. Number three, the brain draws on every available bit of information and experience in the moment and from your past to interpret what should be done with that nociceptive signal or with the painful concepts or, you know, feelings or whatever they are. It, it's always taking in all that information to try to interpret how best to deal with this to keep you safe because pain's a danger signal, right? Number four. We learn how to experience pain. We learn. When you were a little kid, if your parents freaked out when you 
scraped your knee, that's what you learned. If your parents smiled at you, said, Oh, it's not so bad, jump up, shake it off. It's going to be okay. That's what you learned. And those really early baselines frame the way we each deal with pain now. They're still in there. So we learn to experience pain. We learn to provide a bigger buffer once we have experienced pain. We learn to become more sensitive to pain once we've experienced pain. Our pain becomes less precise once we've experienced more pain. So rather than having a localized pain, it, it, it may travel through different parts of our body. It may spread out and we experience it. It's, it's, it we can actually see the changes in the brain when this happens, by the way. It's the smudging that happens in that signal. We learn pain rapidly, effectively, and well. But we deal with a lot more kinds of pain now than our pain, you know, our ancient pain system was adapted to deal with. So we've got to help. We've got to get our, our, our smarty pants frontal cortex involved to, to help our pain system understand everything that's going on. Number five, we have a natural drug cabinet of analgesics in our brain. Dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, endorphins, more than 20 kinds of endorphins, including natural opioids, noradrenaline, norepinephrine, glutamate, and GABA, which is gamma aminobutyric acid. Um, we dismiss how powerful our internal drugs are, even though the man-made drugs that we're taking are attempting to artificially reproduce what these substances naturally do. And these work better in the long term than anything we've come up with in a lab. So what opens the natural drug cabinet? Positive information and experiences which is, again, one of the reasons why I jump out of airplanes, because I immediately get that endorphin and adrenaline rush followed by a dopamine and serotonin chaser. I come down, and my brain's neurochemistry is automatically reset. I am alert and focused and happy and comfortable. Now, I'm not saying, you know, skydive therapy for, for your pain, but, you know, you can choose some worse things. But, but my point is that we do these things naturally in our brains, and we need to take advantage of that. Number six, movement is key. Some people say motion is lotion, Okay. Pain wants to restrict us, but we've already established that pain isn't telling us damage, pain is telling us danger. And we know that the more we move, and, you know, that can be formal exercise, or it could just be getting out and being more engaged. The more we do that, 
the better our system responds and the better we learn to deal with pain. And eventually pain reduces because we're building those capacities back up in our body. But if we don't do those things, then we've only got two choices. You know, living systems either grow or they atrophy, one or the other. If you are not doing things to actively grow, your system is atrophying, which means more pain. Number seven, most pain is noise, not signal. Can't emphasize that enough. And number eight, neuroplasticity. This has become a really popular term right now. Everybody's talking about it. It's like, oh, our brains who wire themselves. Well, yeah, duh. We're living systems. It's not neuroplasticity. It's bioplasticity. It's all of our system. Every single part of us, as long as we're living, adapts. Full stop. If you don't see that you're adapting, you're not paying attention. If you're not changing, then you're actively working not to change. And if you're not growing, you're atrophying. Life has no stasis. Activity is the enemy of pain. So again, I, you know, I've, my brain is a whirl. I've got a gazillion more things that I want to say here, but you have graciously extended enough of your time with me today. So go out, think good thoughts, actually do things, talk to your pain signals, soothe them, comfort them, don't dismiss them. They're, they're real, and they're trying to help you be better. You need to help them be better at their jobs. That's all. So go forth, be well, do well, and do good. If you've enjoyed today's topic and want to join the conversation with Dr. Kevin Payne, find Your Life Lived Well on all of your favorite social media sites, Patreon, and of course, yourlifelivedwell.co. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.